everyone, welcome to Cycles of Life podcast. So my name is Jana and I'm your host. And today I'm joined by a wonderful person all the way across the pond from Canada. So today I'm joined by Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. No, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here today. So Kelsey is a clinical counsellor, a trauma therapist, and she's running a very successful business, which is a combination of one-on-one counselling, business mentoring, kind of online courses, membership community, and also you have a, a podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. I will, mm. I will link everything absolutely below. And you also have a blog as well. Thank you so much for being here. And I thought we'll just start really by talking what maybe attracted you to becoming a counsellor and how did you end up being a therapist? Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, I think it came out of my own struggles with mental health. I, throughout my late teens and early twenties, experienced a lot of anxiety, some depression, um, pretty severe panic attacks, and I just didn't have the resources really to understand going on. Um, or how to support myself and until I started seeing therapists and counselors and doing a lot of my own work. And so I actually ended up different direction career-wise for a while and worked in sort of the environmental justice and social justice field. And then as that sort of I started realizing what I really wanted to do was was work one-on-one with people where I was seeing the most change and the most impact, even in that work was in in one-on-one conversation. So I decided to take the leap and, and go back for my master's in counseling because I knew mental health was something I was so passionate about. And so that's how I kind of ended up as a therapist. I ended up specializing in, in trauma therapy and actually started working a lot with um, men coming out of incarceration, a lot of addiction and trauma. Um, and since then have like changed gears and now work with, with women and looking at sort of bigger system perspectives and seeing how, you know, so much of the mental health struggles that we face actually like anything that's wrong with us or us being broken in any way. It's about these bigger systems that I know we're going to talk about a little bit today of of capitalism and patriarchy and ableism that make us feel like there's something wrong with us. And really we're just feeling unwell because of all of the pressure. That's kind of where my work has like landed now. And I feel like it's just, I'm constantly following threads and being like, Oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? So yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's fascinating. That's why I always like to start with this question because it's so interesting to know what let people to be where they are because it's so, it's always so different. It's always, but I think what's interesting as well, it often starts with kind of the idea that we want to help ourselves first. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us can relate to that. We want to understand ourselves more and actually through living our personal experiences, we get to understand actually I think this might be helpful to people around me as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so often we teach what we most need to learn. And in many ways, I'm still doing that. Like I'm, my own business is constantly evolving as my own interests and sort of growth edges change. Now, a lot of the work mm-hmm. I do is actually in supporting other small business owners creatives to, to build and create their own businesses in a way that feels sustainable and, and good to them. And, you know, that's come out of a few years of like going through that journey myself. So I, I'm, we're, I'm just constantly evolving in life and then constantly evolving in, in my business to sort of follow that path. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, absolutely. Have you always kind of were a business owner or did you ever work for 
the corporation? <laughs> Have you ever tried to like get into the corporate ladder, corporate career? Um, I wouldn't say corporate. I worked for a lot of nonprofits. So when okay. I um, did my first degree, it was in environmental studies and biology. And I, I actually ran a small nonprofit. Um, and I've worked, worked for, in the counseling realm, other nonprofit organizations doing addictions counseling and trauma counseling. Um, so I've never worked in corporate, although I know a lot of people who do. Um, and I've had a couple jobs that have sort of been the like, Mm-hmm. really sticky nine to five grind. Um, but usually in the sort of, um, sector. Absolutely. So what attracted but you to start? Oh, sorry. Go on. I think I was going to answer your question okay. that you were just <laughs> asking. <laughs> um, so basically the reason I ended up starting my own business is yeah, I, um, I was in a job sort of right out of my master's in counseling it was my dream job. I've done this a couple of times where I've gotten a degree and then I've been like, Oh, I found my dream job. And then it has not been my dream job. Um, and it, I loved the work. I loved the clients I was working with and the, the therapy work I was doing, but the, the structure and the expectations of this mm. particular organization were so rigid and so, um, not supportive of their employees, mental health at all. And I just really was, struggling. Like I was falling back into these old patterns of of struggling with mental health, struggling with feeling burnt out after only a couple months of working there. Um, and it was to the point where my, my partner and I were having discussions of like, what do I do? And it's like, I don't think you can keep doing this. Um, which I agreed with. And my therapist, I was seeing at the time, you know, was like, maybe go right. And take a leap. And I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? So I didn't have a plan. I didn't really have a plan at all. I just I basically just quit and was like, okay, I need to find a way to make money. So I started my own private practice and it just started with therapy clients. Um, and then COVID happened and I started transitioning to online and that's sort of how the evolution of more of the online aspects of my business evolved. And now most of my work is online. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting. And actually this just very much connected to the post that you've, lit- I think you just posted. I was just checking oh, yeah. Instagram before we jumped on. And I think, that resonated with me a lot and I think it will resonate with a lot of people you were talking about how you kind of refused to um be kind of forced into a mold and actually I think that's such an interesting concept and I think a lot of what you do and I'm sorry if I'm kind of making conclusions here but it just feels like you talk a lot about how to find our own way of doing things how to slow down often how to rest when needed and actually how much that disconnects with the world around us and the way it's been mm-hmm. built and kind of all the structures that we are forced into almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to elaborate on that Instagram post in case folks haven't seen it, it I basically was just talking about how I am no longer interested in like being a brand. And this is something I've sort of been grappling with and I'm actually kind of in the behind the scenes right now. And this will come to life in the, in the world outside in the next few months. I'm sort of in the process of just like pivoting how I, how I do business and how my whole business is structured and making more of it collaborative with other people instead of all on my own, because we get sold this idea as entrepreneurs that we need to do everything alone, that we need to do it this certain way, that marketing needs to look this certain way, that we need to show up on Instagram or TikTok or wherever we are this certain way. And it's incredibly exhausting. And I'm just so uninterested in believing that that is the only way to do this work. And I'm really ready for us to start finding new ways of doing this. And so I, I honestly, I just kind of feel fed up with this whole idea that like, I need to show up this perfect way and I need to 
my content needs to look a certain way and I need to post a certain number of times. Like humans are not consistent. Like we, we operate in cycles. We can't show up the same way all of the time life happens. And yet that's what we're expected to do. And so I think I'm really interested in my own work and just starting to reclaim my humanness a little bit more Mm -hmm. because I've sort of been showing up as like this brand. And I'm like, I don't want to be a brand. I just want to be Kelsey. And I want to like run my business and that can kind of like be its own thing. But I just want to, I just want to be me. Um, and so I'm trying to, I'm sort of behind the scenes. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all for finding different ways of doing things. No, absolutely. That's actually what we're going to ask. What helps you? What helps you to kind of nurture a bit healthier relationship, I suppose, with social media and the, those, all those external expectations that are, are they even there? Is this all made up? I don't even know. I don't think anyone knows. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we've internalized so many of these stories and expectations of how we, how we should be showing up. Um, And what I'm really trying to do is parse apart. What are, what are the values of capitalism and these broader systems, which, you know, really, if we're being honest, the values of capitalism are things like progress and disproportionate wealth and inequality and passivity, like people being passive and just kind of going along with things. And what are my values? They're very different from that. Mm -hmm. You know, my values are connection and community and kindness and creativity and integrity. Um, And when I look at that, I'm like, oh, whose values do I want to serve? And I need to choose, am I going to show up for this capitalist machine that has these values or am I going to show up for my values, which are very, very different from that? And when I start to look at my action, my business through that lens and go, okay, if I'm like forcing myself to show up just on social media as one example in this way, that's actually serving Instagram more than it's serving me right now. That's like not actually in line with my values. Um, and I'm just really starting to sort of, yeah, think about things from that lens, which helps me to make choices that feel difficult and uncomfortable because I get really clear on, am I like meeting my expectations and my values or external expectations and values? Um, and I think for me, the other thing that's really helpful is having like a community and close friends and other people who I, um, work with about these things because it's so it's really uncomfortable to try and shift out of this system and shift out of these structures and and we're all in it like capitalism is not going away tomorrow we all need to make money we all need to be involved in this system and so trying to find the balance of how can I kind of have to play this game to a certain extent but also start to find ways to do things differently and honor my own needs more it's really hard and so having other people having these conversations and can like remind me of what's important to me and I can do the same for them has also been really critical. Um, and that's taken time for me to build that sort of community of like care and support around me. And I think a lot of people can resonate with this. And I also think this is the beginning. Is it like once you realize that something is not right, then we can start slowly doing something about it. The more mm-hmm. people realize that something is not connecting here, <laughs> what we've been told and what is actually happening are two very different things. Mm-hmm actually talking about these things pointing them out that's the beginning is it who knows what's going to happen 20 30 years later yeah yeah and I mean I think I think there are going to be some big changes I don't know that I have the answers or what they're going to look like (laughs) and my focus has predominantly been like what can we just do in our own lives to start that like small ripple um but this system not working and um 
a lot of people are suffering and unwell because of it. And the system is disproportionately affecting certain groups of people. Um, and all of that is like an indication that at some point there's going to be some sort of collapse probably in our lifetime. And so, mm. um, yeah, also just like finding new ways of being before that happens. So we like have communities of care and like can support ourselves and each other and already are like starting to think about what alternatives can look like is really important because at some point this, we're not going to live in capitalism anymore. some point, not in our lifetimes, but, um, <laughs> you know, this is not how it's been forever. This is only how it's been for like a couple hundred years. And so there will always be and changes. Um, and so it's, I think it's interesting to think about that, like just imagining that like, this isn't actually how it has to be because I think we grow up being like, this is just how it is. And it's like, well, it's only actually been how it is since like the industrial revolution, really. Um, that's not that long. Humans have been around for a really long time. And so I think it's important to just have that like expansive frame on things too, because that's when we can start to play and get imaginative and go, Oh, like we can totally rethink this if we want to. Agreed. Um, anyway, actually, sorry, that that's the of... little like activist in me no, coming out. I love it. And I think that's what I really <laughs> wanted. To, that's why I wanted to talk to you because it just resonates so much with me. And it's so nice to talk about these things because often it's really hard for people to talk about it because it's just such a huge disconnect from the reality. So it almost feels, I don't really want to talk about it because there there are no answers. It's just really uncomfortable and it's just easier just to pretend that everything is fine. So no, mm-hmm. please totally. talk about it as much as you want. <laughs> I do want to just name, like as someone who runs my own business, I am in a huge place of privilege with being able to experiment, have some flexibility take time off, rest more. Like all of that is a massive privilege. And I recognize the vast majority of people in corporate or who are lower income and need to work multiple jobs, like do not have access to that. And that when we're thinking about how we shift these things, we need to be thinking about those people as well. We can't just be thinking about those of us who like can make those like, if we're going to do this, we need to be making sure everybody is involved. And so I also want to say like right now, a radical shift for me might look, because I have a lot of wiggle room, might look very different from a radical shift for a single mom with three kids and two jobs, you know, a lot of wiggle room. Maybe for her, radical self-care or like thinking of being like a little bit anti-capitalist is like giving herself an extra 10 minute break to like just close her eyes in the middle of the day and take like a little nap. Like maybe that is the radical act. And so just really recognizing like what is pushing the edge on this in your own position of, of privilege where that's at, um, I think is really important to recognize because like I can and therefore should do a lot more and have these conversations and, 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 and like um, be a little more edgy because I have the privilege and wiggle room to do that. Mm-hmm. And not everyone does. So just like really, res- really honoring the reality of that and also the responsibility for folks who do have more space to then take kind of take up the torch on this um and be the people who are having these conversations more publicly because i'm like not at, i'm not at risk by doing that like i i have job security in myself um so i think it's important to like recognize that piece because it's not easy for everyone and we talk about this thing this these things and someone listening might be like well that's nice for you and i'm like yeah mm-hmm. i get that not everyone can actually even conceptualize the possibility of this right now. And that's okay. You can, when you need, when you're sitting at your desk and you really need to use the washroom or you're hungry, you can 
can like let yourself listen to your body and go take a pee break or like go get yourself a snack in a part of the machine that's like, no, I just have to push through and sit here and work harder. Like what are the small ways that you can start going, okay, I don't need to be just like a a tool for capitalism today. I can listen to my body and take care of myself in these tiny ways. And that's the best I can do right now to, to, and that, and that can be a radical act, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And actually that was one of my questions as well. When you mentioned what are the small things that I can do, what are those daily rituals maybe that help you to stay grounded and almost come back to yourself? Because I think that's the most radical thing that we can do. And uh, during the day, just remind ourselves who we are and what is important to us and to connect yeah. back to our values. Is there anything that helps you to stay in that nice place? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not always there. Like there's a, a battle in, inside of me every single day that's like, I should be working harder more. I should be doing this. I you know, and so it's just a constant practice of, um, leaning into the discomfort. Um, so one thing I would say is, yeah, getting comfortable with just seeing that when we do things differently, it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it can bring up some fear, right? Like if I am choosing as an example in my own life, if I'm choosing to work a little less, because I know that's what's important for my well-being. And I, that also means I'm earning less money. That brings up a lot of anxiety for me. And mm-hmm. so, but I know it's, I know it's right and I know it's okay. Um, but I might not look, feel like as quote unquote successful or whatever it might be. Um, it, it's uncomfortable. I'm afraid. I have a fear response that's like, ah, oh, no, 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 you should be working harder. You have to be working harder to stay safe. And that protective part shows up. And so it's not like it just feels lovely. Like I'm not like, oh yeah, I'm going to turn down that client. That feels awesome. I'm like, (gasps) what have I done? Um, And it's about practicing sitting in that discomfort and going, no, I don't have to work as hard as I can possibly work. It's okay for me to work enough. I'm still a good person. My definition of success is different. And like literally talking myself through that discomfort over and over and over again. Um, I think another thing that, I touched on this, but like capitalism is actually really designed and relies on us kind of being disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. Because if we really allowed ourselves to feel how tired we are almost all of the time, especially people working nine to fives in corporate or like, you know, multiple jobs, having families and working full time, like we're all exhausted. And and capitalism has basically just sold us this whole myth that like, if you're tired and you can't keep up, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to take care of yourself better, or you need to invest in all of these supports that mean spending more money and then making more money to spend that money. Like it's this vicious cycle where we actually have to be disconnected from our bodies in order to be able to function and operate in the system. Um, and so anytime you can practice just reconnecting to your body and, and noticing like, how am I doing really right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really exhausted. Okay. Is there any way I give myself just like a little bit of care in that regard, or even like or the amount of times I find myself sitting at my desk, um, being thirsty for like an hour and not going, getting up to get a glass of water. I'm like, what? Because I have to be working. So Oh, just acting to your body and going, I actually am like aged with my body and I'm practicing taking care of myself. And that's my priority. That's like a really brilliant way to start to shift this because right now we have this 
what's called like a power over relationship with Mm -hmm. our body where we have control and power over it. And we like push it and dictate it to do things because that's how we have to show up in this system. But what we want is to have a power with relationship with our body, where we learn to live with it and treat it well. Um, And that's radical because that's not what capitalism wants. Capitalism wants us to just push ourselves until we're exhausted. And if we can say, actually, no, the, even if the only thing I'm going to do to shift this is start like listening to my body and noticing like, oh, anyway, I can give myself some rest Um, and starting to question that disconnect and the necessity of that disconnect, like that's massive. Agreed. Yeah. And I think capitalism is not just kind of pushing us into that survival mode, but it's also telling us that let us sell you something that will fix that problem. So it's like, yeah, self-perpetrating cycle, is it? Totally. It's this vicious cycle. And it's like, it makes us feel unwell because we're exhausted and we're burnt out and we're pushing ourselves way too hard. But then we, in order to feel well, we need to stay in the system more things and hire more people and support ourselves in whatever ways we do, or just like keep showing up and working more to afford all that. Like, so yeah, it is just this vicious cycle that we're stuck in and even starting to see if it's deeply uncomfortable um, and starting to question that and just notice like tiny, tiny opportunities where we can reconnect with like the ground beneath our feet and just like feel our feet on the ground or pause in our day or take a break. Like anything you can do, just not a part of that cycle um, will, will help. And it doesn't feel like a lot, but the more of us that start practicing that, um, and having these conversations too, the better, obviously. And I think it doesn't have to be everyone's job to like change the system either, right? Like it can be your job to just start to change the way you, you in your own life interact with the system. And maybe that's enough as a starting place. Mm-hmm. I've read a really nice metaphor, which I think fits beautifully here, talking about um, watering the forest. So all we need to try to do is water our own tree. Mm. And actually, over time, the forest will be also watered. It's not about splashing a lot of water on everyone at the same time. It's about us taking care of ourselves to begin with. And overall, the whole environment changes. I just thought it fits beautifully with what you were just talking about. I have that. Yeah. And actually talking about ground, Grounded, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you was around all the work that you do with Ancestry. And I know you're really curious about where do you come from? So I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more about this. And also, why is it important to you? What attracted you to do this work? Yeah, um, all my favorite things. So I, where to begin? I think that one thing I've noticed is that living on land that is not the land of my ancestors. So I, I just for to pose on so-called Salt Spring Island in British Columbia is um, the traditional territory of uh, the Comanche people and the Holcomenan people and the Saanich people. And there's actually like a lot of different First Nations groups mm-hmm. that have used this land. It's hard to pin down and I don't there's pieces of it that sort of belong to certain groups, although their relationship to land is very different than ours in terms of ownership. Um, but ultimately, I'm a settler here, and um, my family came over from Europe, like not super long ago. My my dad's family uh, migrated here from Germany, and my grandparents from Poland. Um, and so this is very much like not my land, and it's been very interesting for me to like want to have 
a relationship to place and to feel really connected and grounded to some sort of physical place, but knowing that as a settler, um, I'm just a guest on this land, really. Um, And so that was sort of a piece of it. And then another piece of it was like growing up, I remember, especially as a Canadian, we, at least my interpretation or my experience of being quote unquote Canadian is that like, we don't have a strong culture because there's so we're, we're all from somewhere else Mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, and I have never really identified with some of the markers of like Canadian culture anyway. Um, and I know some people like really resonate with that, but I don't. And so I, I remember as a kid just being like, what is my culture? I don't know. And my parents didn't really share a lot um, from their own own backgrounds and they weren't really connected to that. And so as an adult, I was still sort of asking these questions of like, who am I? Like, I'm, I know I'm an, and like, I'm um, like my roots are indigenous to somewhere. And I know that there's like this rich history of culture and spiritual that I don't have access to anymore. And that all just spiritually, like I felt very disconnected. Um, and so I started researching my, my ancestry um, because I thought that would be a good starting point and understanding that I'm actually mostly Polish um, with a little bit of Ukrainian, a little bit of Russian and a little bit of German kind of mixed in. And then just got really interested um, in learning the traditions from those places, recognizing that um, they're super regional and they mm-hmm. vary drastically. And so I'm a little bit of this is recognizing that like is, is also trying to like make sure I'm really going to the source. So I've done a lot of work to try and find people who are like actually practicing these things in Poland who practice traditional witchcraft or paganism and, um, and directly connecting with people who live in Poland and like are doing that work now. So I can um, have real conversations about what is, what is, what is my, because there's also a piece here that's like, is it, is it culturally appropriative for Mm -hmm. me to practice things from, even though my DNA is from those lands, like I didn't, didn't grow up there. So where is that line? And, um, and trying to just be like in right relationship with those practices too. But for me, it's been so grounding and it's really given me a sense of identity um, and sort of a place to begin practicing spirituality in a way that works for me. That also feels, it feels like a coming, a coming home and like a returning to self. Um, That was a really long answer to what was a fairly simple question. Sorry. Brevity is not my strong suit. <laughs> I absolutely loved to know. I think it's fascinating to learn how how you actually came to this work because it's interesting what you said. Actually, I have very similar lineage to you, really, in a sense. Okay. So I um I'm I was born during Soviet times. Not to go too much into detail. So um, I was born in Latvia. What is Latvia mm-hmm. now? But actually, all my ancestry is from either Russia, Ukraine. Uh, a bit of Belarus mixed in, so I'm a proper mm-hmm. Slavic person as mm-hmm. such. But what is interesting, so I grew up in Latvia and I always felt like I don't really belong. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of more political reasons for that as well, mixed in. So. And also now, obviously, um, I have a very strong Scottish accent because I lived in Scotland for a long time. So I just find that identity such an interesting concept because actually I don't feel Latvian because... Yes, I was born there, but I don't really have that relation to the land. Mm-hmm. I don't feel really feel Russian either because I didn't really grow up there. And then I kind of feel Scottish, but then I didn't grow up there and I lived there for four years. And I think that whole identity and ancestry is just, it kind of makes me think how, A, how almost artificial it is in a sense, 
-hmm. but also how important it is to feel at home as you said to feel like you belong somewhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think, I mean, there are going to be part. So for those of us who know our ancestry, some people don't, maybe they've been adopted or they mm-hmm. don't just, just don't have that information. Um, there might be parts of it that we really resonate with and feel like, yeah, like this is really calling me and I feel a strong identity to this. And there might be parts that we don't resonate with and that's okay. Like, I think it's as long as we're being really intentional about making sure we're not adopting practices or identities that are not ours, I think it's fine to like pick and choose um, from our own sort of ancestry and lineage. Like what really, what really feels good to me? What really resonates with me? Um, For me, the starting point of this work, just to backtrack a bit, was very much just like understanding and getting to know, and this is an ongoing practice, my own ancestors. I'm actually looking over here. I have like an ancestor altar with a bunch of pictures of like my grandparents. And um, I find it so incredible to think about um, the the people in my direct ancestral line who came before me, my grandmother and my great-grandmother and greats in general, who like everything they did ultimately was for me. Like all of the choices they made, even though they didn't know me really, or or many of them were like in support of future generations having a better life. And so I just have this like huge revenue. My family, not in my lifetime, but in previous lifetimes has been through like extensive trauma. Um, and there is this huge history of like really, really horrific experiences that the end goal was to find a better life for their kids and their grandkids. And I'm like, wow, like what a legacy that I am now holding and how much love there is, even though I didn't have an opportunity to meet most of these, I feel this sense of, of like deep love from them because I know I'm their dream. Like really I'm living their, their dream. And that gives me so much like respect and reverence for my ancestors. And of course we all have ancestors. Most of us do that. Like maybe weren't the bull um, and maybe did some questionable things. And like, it's important to recognize that and to hold space for the reality that like where we are a result of them um, trying to make their lives better in, in some way. Um, and trying to make our lives better. And so for me, that's just been really powerful to think about, like, as I move through the world, I have this whole swath of who are like cheering me on or would be. And for me, that's really powerful to just think about like, oh my gosh, like because of all of these people, how can I both be like a good descendant for them and also then be a good ancestor for future generations? I love that concept, actually, about being the good ancestor. Uh, there's a fantastic book that's called Me and White Supremacy. Yes, by... so good. Yeah. And she Sand, talks about, yeah. uh-huh, at the end, she talks about it, how her whole like life mission is to be a good ancestor. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. And I think it really connects to what we started talking about, kind of capitalism mm-hmm. and dismantling these systems, because potentially, even though we might not necessarily make our life significantly better, we might really help somebody going forward in hundred years time <laughs> life might be very different just because some of the decisions that we made now absolutely yeah yeah and I mean there's some pretty critical decisions <laughs> that are getting made right now that are going to have drastic impacts so yeah I mean in one way that can feel like a lot of responsibility and I don't mean to like overwhelm anyone with this <laughs> but I also think it is like it is our responsibility to yeah. think about future generations um and for me being rooted in practice 
helps me to do that better because I feel more connected to like long-term thinking. And also it really provides me with tools to, to think about different ways of being like, we we'll to go back and do research about how pre-industrial capitalist times people lived um, pre-Christianization when sort of paganism, which just basically is a spirituality about being connected and the seasons and like animism, seeing everything as having its own life force were sort of the way that people navigated the world. Like things were very different. People's relationship to land was very different. There was a lot more space, you know, obviously things were not perfect in these systems and there was a lot of violence and a lot of other things going on. I recognize that, but there are pieces that were really powerful and pieces that we can take away and go, Oh, like what a beautiful way of being. I mean, even just thinking about one thing that I love to share is that in a lot of old, um, old European like calendars and, and ways of being, both the, the calendar was just seen as having winter and then summer. There wasn't the four seasons, but winter was seen as the start. And the same with the day that like the day, actually the concept of a day actually started in the evening. It started with sleep and rest. And then after you slept and rest, you could go and do your work for the day or your play for the day. And so I love, I mean, we've just turned that its head and we've been like, Oh, we need to work first and then we can earn our rest. But a couple hundred years ago, it was the other way around. It was like, no, you rest first because you need to nourish yourself. And then you'll have the energy to go to work. And I recognize like nothing has actually changed about how our days work in terms of like the reality, but the, that mindset shift of just honoring the needs of our bodies and the needs for rest. Um, I mean, there are a million little sort of anecdotes and pieces like that, that for me, I'm like, wow, like we thought that way, not that long ago. So it's possible that we can return to that. So for me, digging into like ancestral practices or just understanding or ways of being in a relationship, particularly with nature and the world is also really helping me rethink what's possible in, in my own life and helping sort of almost provide some evidence that like there are other ways of being that are not just a part of the system. So that's been really helpful too. Then actually what you just mentioned about everything starting in the dark. I've been studying a lot of Celtic yeah. paganism and Celtic Christianity, which is a really interesting concept as well. And that's exactly what they talk about. The new year actually starts in October, Samhain. That's the mm-hmm. that's the that's the new year because mm-hmm. it all starts in the dark, like the womb, like the seed that goes into the mm-hmm. ground. And that's the beginnings. Yeah. And I think a lot of probably traditions can really resonate with that. It's just interesting how much mm-hmm. we have corrupted <laughs> that knowledge over the last mm-hmm. few hundred years, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that seasonal piece is so important. Like recognizing that, that, that fallow time, that the void, the darkness where nothing is happening and everything is resting and just like preparing for new life is first of all, the beginning of everything. Right. And it's also a very important part of this, the cycle of nature. And yet in our capitalist system, we're expected to be progressing and forward like accumulating, earning, achieving more and more and more all of the time in this linear fashion where we're always showing up the same every day. And it's like, that cycle doesn't exist in nature. Um, that cycle doesn't exist in our bodies. Uh, for those of us who are bleeding, uh, that cycle doesn't exist in like anywhere outside of our fabricated systems. I mean, the moon goes through its phase. And so even starting to like, look at that and go like, okay, how can I recognize and honor my own cycles a little more and understand that I'm not going to be able to produce at the same level all of the time. And that tradition before capitalism, 
that was honored. And like, that was understood that there were times where we had to rest. And then there were times that we had to work. It wasn't just like all work all the time. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really, really important piece of that too, is just recognizing the like cyclical and seasonal nature mm-hmm. that we humans as part of nature um, also need to abide by in order to be like healthy and well. Exactly. I was actually just reading yesterday, I was reading one of the Ayurvedic books. So mm-hmm. Ayurveda is kind of the ancient Indian um, mm-hmm. uh, teachings about human body and how we connect with the world. And interesting that we're talking about kind of menstrual and women's cycle when we bleed and they talk about how if possible it's really good for women to take a bit of time off so actually mm-hmm. just rest while mm-hmm. the bleeding is happening or not just women people who do bleed mm-hmm. and I just th- I just thought can you imagine if mm-hmm. all of us which is a half of the population approximately would mm-hmm. just say do you know what I just need that time off is not connected to a Saturday mm-hmm. or a Sunday I just need this time off how the mm-hmm. world would actually change mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I love that. Um, I think that's so important. And um, I mean, that would be amazing if like corporate culture was like, okay, you get, you know, three or four or five or whatever days off just because that's what your body needs right now. It needs that like rest time because that's your winter in your cycle, right? You mm-hmm. need to go through that winter to then in order to feel productive in the spring and summer of your menstrual cycle. Um, yeah. I think there's so many I mean, obviously I recognize that's probably not going to happen in corporate culture anytime soon, but I think the more we can even just like dream into those ways and honor those ways of being in our own life, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you still need to go to your job on those days. Can you just give yourself space to rest in the evenings when you come home, recognize like, this is the winter of my cycle. Like I can't expect myself to be productive. I would never look outside in the middle of winter when it's snowing and go, why aren't the flowers blooming right now? You know, and yet that's what we do to ourselves every single month or any time when we have a loss or trauma or grief or anything in our life too, that's just like prohibits us from being productive because we just need to be in that experience and feel those feelings and rest. Um, and, and yet we're, we're basically ourselves and going, it's snowing, but why aren't the flowers blooming? Um, and so if we can at least stop doing that to ourselves world is still going to do it to us but how can we stop expecting that of ourselves in those times um so we at least eliminate one layer of that of that pressure and the more we do that and we have these conversations with other people we do start to create that ripple effect right mm-hmm. like if you treat yourself differently you then give other people permission who are around you and sort of seeing you doing that to also explore these ideas differently and it's not futile to to only care for yourself in these ways and water your own um, because other people start to see you doing that and they go oh that's okay I can do that so it can be it can be really powerful mm-hmm. so what would you say to someone who is just starting to realize that something is not right here I've been sold a lie <laughs> what what are the first steps what can someone do to kind of move from mm-hmm. there or start something start doing something to change mm-hmm. things I'm so excited. I'm actually working on a book about oh, answering this very question. Yeah, it's, wow. uh, it's, it's probably not going to be out in the world for like a couple of years because that whole process is slow. Um, yeah, behind the scenes, that's, that's percolating. Oh, so, um, I mean, I think there's, there's a few different avenues in, I think we've touched on some of the biggest things already. It really starts with building awareness. And so one activity, which I kind of already mentioned actually that I like get everyone to do when we're exploring this right off the bat is to actually get really clear about the values piece, because when we can see that it's like this, when we have clarity around our own values, 
it helps us provide, it helps provide us with just like an alternative option. So basically the like metaphor I love to use is that we're like in this sort of arid desert valley right now where things aren't feeling super great. We're all tired and thirsty and exhausted. And these like tour guides flashing on like the mountaintop is this way. And there's hordes of people just walking that way. And yet over to the other side, we like look up and there's this beautiful luscious mountaintop and this like tiny little deer trail going up. And we're like, but isn't the mountaintop that way? Like, why wouldn't I just take the deer trail that goes straight to the mountaintop, but no one's walking it. And so obviously most people are just like going with the hordes of people and all the tour guides that are saying, no, take this big path. Like it'll get you there. We promise, even though it's leading in the opposite direction. And and that's like basically what capitalism is doing. It's saying like, Hey, we're going to take you where you want to go us. And they're walking us the opposite way. And so for me, just like starting by seeing that really cool. And I like to do that by getting people, as I mentioned earlier, to write down sort of what are the values of capitalism? Things like discrimination, greed, uh, progress, productivity at all costs, and actually like making a list of all of those things and identifying which ones you agree with. There might be some that you actually do agree with. Like maybe progress is really important to you. That's fine. But also noting that you've internalized, but you don't actually want to carry probably a lot of the things on the list, you notice like, oh, I, I mean, even inequality sometimes like that shows up in my life. Like there are choices I make that aren't always for the benefit of everyone that do prioritize my own above other people's. And sometimes, you know, that's okay. Um, But just thinking about like how these things show up in our own lives is really important. And then making a second list of like, what are your values Mm -hmm. And, and just seeing in like very stark reality, how different those are and what choices you're making day to day that are supporting capitalism's values instead of yours. That's, I find to be a really helpful exercise because it's, it's like shocking and is also just like something to continuously return to because when we have a clear set of values that are distinct from capitalism's, we go, okay, what, what's really important to me is rest or nourishment or love or connection. Then that gives us something to return to and go, okay, every tree instead. Can I water that tree like a little bit more than the day before um, by doing things like list body, by doing things like creating networks of community care where I'm, you know, instead of expecting the system to be the thing that supports me, can I start building stronger relationships with my friends and family so that we can support one another more? Like there's so many different pieces of this, but I, I love that as a starting point. No, I love that answer. Excellent. I think I need to do that exercise as well. I've never heard that before, but it sounds amazing. No, um, so you've mentioned kind of building communities a few times, and I know that you do quite a lot of that stuff as well. So if someone wants to connect with you or if they would like to work with you, where can they go and what is available to people? As I mentioned, I'm a bit of a pivot right now. Um, so one-on-one, I do a lot of business and creative coaching. So for anyone who's in the sort of small business or creative artist realm, um, I love to do one-on-one work with those folks to support them in like building lives and businesses that function we've been talking about. Um, I do one-on-one therapy as well. I have an online membership community called Wellspring, where we talk about a lot of these things. And it's all about connecting with your sort of more authentic self and just feeling emotionally well within these systems. And I also pivot I'm doing actually is into like a little bit more sort of magical creative realm. So I 
also run um, a business called the Coven of Creativity with a good friend of mine, Azalea Moen. And we really work in the realm of like using seeing creativity as magic and seeing creativity as a source that can start to like shift our own relationships with these systems. And so we hold um, an online community called Seasons of Creation in the, the, so we're having, we have one right now. And then in the fall every year where we gather together for 13 weeks and basically pick a project that we want to bring to fruition and explore the whole process of creating something and bringing it to life from like a much more resourced, easeful, generative place that steps totally outside of hustle culture and productivity and allows us to do it in a way that actually like really feels good to us and do it in a way. So that's um, something I'm super excited about. And you can find all the info about that at covenofcreativity.com. Awesome. I will link everything below anyway, because I think it's fascinating. And I love your kind of your social media presence and your aesthetics as such I don't know if that's a good word to use or not but I think what you put it to the world definitely resonates with a lot of people mm, um, thank you so much yeah. no thank you so much Kelsey it has been such a pleasure chatting to you really you appreciate well. your time yeah thanks for having me it's been a pleasure thank you so much for listening it would mean a world to me if you rate this podcast if you're using an apple podcast app all you need to do is just scroll down a bit and hit those five stars don't forget to subscribe that way you will not miss any future episodes and if you would like to work with me as a life coach you can find all information on my website and you can get in touch with me through my instagram or email all will be linked in the show notes